on the back of your bulletin, when you take out the back of your bulletin, you'll see uh, the This Is Us series is the final series that we've covered, and we've talked about six different uh, sermons of talking about what are our values, what do we value. There's six values that really, as we've covered this book of Romans, have just kind of come through the pages to connect with us here in the local church. So if you're new with us here, the mission of our church is that we would glorify God by making disciples of all nations. That's really the mission of any church who would pursue after God and say, we are an evangelical church. That's the mission of our church. The vision of our church is that we would be able to help people find their place upward in Christ, inward in the church, and outward in the community. That vision is more specific to us here at this address, 6301 Main Street, Williamsville, New York. But then there's these values, these things that along the way we say these are real distinctives that would say if you're part of the family here, if you're part of membership here, if you're part of a regular attender here, you should know that these are some things that we value. And as we've gone through this, we've talked through these. We said we will celebrate faithfulness. We will cultivate fruitfulness. We will prioritize relationship. We will mobilize leadership, understanding that, that through God, uh, leaders are going to be able to be raised up and rightly motivated to be empowering God's people. Last week we talked about we will draw circles, and the first circle we will draw around our own feet is God, do something in this circle, and then will you, Lord, uh, work in concentric circles outside of that, of those who are familiar faces and those who are farther away, but God, work in us. So this last week we come to we share stories. We value sharing stories. Chapter 16, verse 25. Chapter 16, verse 25. Now him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ, in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all Gentiles might come to obedience that comes through faith. To the only wise God be glory forever and ever through Jesus Christ. Amen. Does this sound familiar to you at all as you hear these two or three verses? Is there, is there a familiarity that rings through that? You see, good speakers or good writers will often tell you at the beginning, they'll say, this is what I'm about to say. And then, then they'll say it, and then they'll follow it up by, this is what I just said. And it's a, it's a pretty easy formula for us to be able to communicate uh, some of the real specific things that were going to be said. So flip over a couple of pages, you'll look in Romans chapter 1, you'll see something that looks very familiar to what we just read here in Romans 16. Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel that he promised beforehand through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures, that mystery he was speaking of regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. If you've got your sermon outlined with you this morning, it's a white sheet of paper that was tucked in your bulletin, you'll see this verse, the thesis statement, Romans chapter 1, verse 16, for the rest of the argument that is made in this gospel that we call the book of Romans. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. 
This is the thesis statement. You will find that the rest of the book of Romans, as we've covered it, is all about what it looks like to live a life that is not ashamed of the gospel. Paul is a strong speaker. He's convincingly a persuasive writer. So how did he keep our attention for 36 weeks here as a church? There are other pastors who have gone much longer than that, 96 or more weeks of going through this. I mean, he didn't even have a PowerPoint presentation. He didn't even have a video monitor. He wasn't even able to tweet out his bullet points after he finished his sermon. How did he do it? Well, first, because we are highlighting this morning that it's all about story. We have to remember Paul's story. In chapter 1, Paul kind of gives us an outline of his story when he talks about the gospel and he's not being ashamed of the gospel. If you remember, we talked about this early on in the first couple of weeks, that the gospel will ruin your life is what he tells you. So the gospel changed my whole perspective, my whole direction, where I was going. It looked pretty good for me, the Apostle Paul is saying, and the gospel came along and turned things upside down. So much the fact that his name had been Saul, and now we know him as Paul because everything changed. The gospel will wreck your plans. The gospel, you, you've got some good ideas, you've got some good plans for what you have. The Apostle Paul had some good ideas, some good plans for how he thought that he was going to reach the world for Christ in that time. And Paul goes through a shipwreck. Paul goes through a number of different things that reset his plans. The gospel will wreck your plans. But the gospel will always require prayer. When we talked last Sunday, we talked about what it meant to pray for those in your circle, your circle of influence, and those who are very close, family and friends, those who are farther away, the familiar faces as well. The gospel will always require our prayer. So if we didn't have bullet points, he didn't have a PowerPoint presentation, how did he get his story across? How did he get his message across? Well, some of you have sat through, and maybe you've sat through them here, some pretty horrible PowerPoint presentations. Raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about, that you're saying yes. Raise your hand, yes, I've sat through a horrible PowerPoint presentation. The people who are at the other end of the row are looking at you because they know that you gave the horrible PowerPoint presentation. So what happens is a lot of times when we try to communicate, we get ourselves jumbled up and we don't speak with clarity. We, don't, we, we, we get confusing when we talk about things. And what's so beautiful here about the gospel that, that of Paul here that we know is the book of Romans is the, the clarity of thought that has gone throughout the book. Let me show you here a few slides this morning of some things that aren't so clear. This first slide comes from a university who is teaching us how to make a good PowerPoint presentation. It says, make it clear, structure, and then you start reading through it and you realize, th this is not clear. The, the, the literal university training and teaching on how to make a PowerPoint presentation clear is very confusing. And you say, well, that doesn't seem so bad. Well, here's another example. Uh, I think that whoever sent this in, the company that they're coming from was probably written up by people who are legally blind. Because we cannot see what it is that they're trying to show us. This is a bad PowerPoint presentation, but they get worse. Go on to the next one. 
understanding the end game, it says. And then it has a diagram that you can't follow. Literally, the person who made this slideshow won an award, the 2010 Worst CEO Slideshow of 2010. Now, how do you receive that, that award? Do you walk up on the stage and say, oh, well, well, thank you. Yes, I worked very hard on this. And then, good job, brother. You know, like, how does... The, it's terrible. Continue on. So this slideshow was presented at the United Nations talking about how we were going to, the U.S. was going to take Afghanistan. There's not a whole lot I'm going to say about that. What happens when you put something on a slide? The reality is, is that you can put all the data, and we put a lot more content on a slide than we need, is that 90% of you, 90% of us as humankind, forget everything you just heard, all the data that was shared within 30 seconds. Within 30 seconds, you will forget most of what I say each Sunday. Within 30 seconds, you will forget most of the important things that I spent all week working on. Some of you are teachers and professors, and I see an amen, I see a nod saying, yes, I have evidence that my students have forgotten everything that I taught them within 30 seconds. Don't believe me? Next time you get on a plane, Next time you get on a plane and you, and you check in, you do the little beep beep thing and then you go down the walkway and you know that when you get on that plane, you are in seat 34B. You are in seat 34B. That means you're going to walk back to row 34 and you're going to sit in B. And then what happens as you're going down the, the concourse, you're making your way there, what do you do? You pull out of your pocket and look at the thing and you say, 34B. And you put it in your pocket. And then the uh, stewardess says hello to you, and, and the, the pilot shakes your hand and high-fives you and tells you how great the weather is going to be in Buffalo, and you know that he's lying. <laughs> and then you turn and you make your way, and as you turn and people are starting to stick luggage in, what do you do? You stick your hand in your pocket and you pull out and you try to remember, what row am I in? And sometimes you'll get to the, to the seat and you'll hear somebody cheer for themselves because they said, 34B, yes, this one's mine. The reality is all of us statistically will check six times between when we beeped in at the, at the gate and then get into our seat there because we forget it. We forget that information. In 30 seconds, all that information is gone. So instead of sharing data, instead of sharing talking points, what we really ought to be doing is sharing stories. So this morning I have a few more slides for you that are less specific, they're less clean, they're more sloppy, but they tell a story, and I think that you'll probably remember them more. Here's your first one. And I know you can't see this very well, so I'm going to read it for you. This has to do with going back to school, maybe, if you're in middle school. To whom it may concern, middle school was dumber than a box full of hair. So I got these from a website that is connected to a magazine called Found. There's an entire magazine about people who find little notes like this, and they don't know where they're coming from, they don't know what the rest of the story is, they just find the little note and they just... They don't know what it is exactly. So this next little note was found. The lady writes in, and, and it, was, it blew across her yard, and she picked it up. And it says this, Adventure Club, how to get in the club. 
You need know-how to climb a fence. You need to like adventure. The club members are Shane and Ethan, Carlos and Brandon. The rules of the club. You can't tell anyone where it is or what it is. Rule number two, no messing up the club. Rule number three, don't bring anything in without permission from Shane or Ethan, listed on the side as the club members, right? And then last rule, importantly, you have to be nice to squirrels. <laughs> now the lady who posted this uh, in, 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 in the article was made out, she actually called these boys up from the neighborhood, these five, four and five-year-old boys, and gathered them into her yard and said, I know about your club. <laughs> and they all denied it. Every single one of them denied it until she started quoting the rules for the club. And then they knew they were toast. And one of them asked, how did you, how did you learn about our club? And she pointed to her dog and said, Oliver told me. <laughs> and according to the article, one of the boys, they walked away and they said, Oliver was listening to us. <laughs> this last one might be a little scarier for some of you. I, Jaden Coble Bailey. I'm going to read it from here because I can't see it very well. These are the things that he had to write down. I will not lie. I will not steal. I will not go through granny's stuff. I will not throw away stuff. I will not bully her. I will not do this until June 19th. <laughs> now, now it's September 8th, friends. I'm not sure what happened on June 19th, but Granny's probably in trouble. Now, what happens is when we look at Scripture, it's almost like we've found a letter. It wasn't addressed to you. It wasn't for you initially, but what happens is we can find truth there. We can find there's a story there. There's, a, there's something that we can connect to, and that's what is so beautiful about Scripture, is that we actually can connect with this story that is so much larger than we are. So why do we share stories? Why would we say this is a value for us as a church? Why would we say this is a value to us as a people? We got a few fill-ins for you this morning about stories in general, and I'm going to dive in specifically to this story. So here's your first fill-in. Stories are vital. Stories are vital. When you tell a story, you spark a connection. This is how humans have communicated with each other from the beginning, by telling stories. Stories have been told by people well before they ever learned how to read or how to write. Everyday events became stories that we told our children. Scribes and priests told those stories of a religious affair. Leaders told heroic tales of their adventures. They told of the battles they had won and lost. Stories are passed on through generations, and some of them fill up history books. Some are integral to culture, and others are embedded in our family values. Stories are vital and stories are central to human cognition and communication. Here's your second fill-in. Stories are universal. Stories are universal. Every culture has stories to tell. This is not specific about us, but every culture has stories to tell. They form how we think. They form the basis by which we think about the world and, the, and how our lives fit into it. 
They preserve culture and pass on cultural knowledge from one generation to another. We are blessed here as a church to have multiple generations worshiping every Sunday. And every time that I share something from the pulpit, there's someone who will pull me aside after the service and say, well, actually, you should know. And then they'll give me the backstory on something that I had no idea of. But that's part of generationally that culture development that happens. Keeping stories alive helps keep culture alive. Stories often give a timeless link to ancient traditions, to the legends of the past, to the heritage of the past. But they also connect us to some universal truths about ourselves as people and humans on this planet and the world that we live in. Third fill in, stories shape our perspective. Stories shape our perspective. Everyone has a story to tell. You have yours, and if you pay close attention to your story, you realize that your stories are a collection of your experiences. It's your perspective that shapes the meaning of these stories. In the same way, when you hear other people tell stories, and and you're in an environment or in a community or a family that tells stories, you realize that you share the same fundamental experiences with others. And even though your experiences differ from theirs, that the truth becomes real because even though you have a lot of different experiences, that's all shaping your perspective. And then some people have different experiences, very vastly different experiences, and you start to understand why they have a different perspective on something than you do. Stories shape our perspective. Next fill-in, stories transfer truth and morality. Stories transfer truth and morality. If you look at some of the most influential books, religious books or manuscripts of all time, specifically the Bible is what we have in front of us, but that's not the only religious book that's out there that shapes that religion. You notice that, guess what? They are just filled with stories. They're just filled with stories. That's because stories help us transfer knowledge and morals across hundreds of years and thousands of generations. You may not recognize and know and have memorized the original, the original text of the Bible. You may not know always exactly where that verse is found, but you certainly will be able to empathize with people like Joseph and people like Sarah and all other characters that we find in Scripture because of the story that connects us to it. Stories transfer truth and morality. Probably more than anything else, we need to remember that because we are students of the Bible and those who study Scripture, we have to be reminded that Jesus himself told stories. He used parables as a teaching tool. You can hardly underestimate the influence that it had, the significance that the parables that Jesus taught, they are the heart and soul of his teaching, and they elaborate on all the major themes of the kingdom of God, all taught through story. A parable is just a short story teaching a spiritual lesson. They're often based on some of the aspects of first century life, very common things that were happening around him, and there was a story that Jesus told that connected to a moral truth. This made it communicable, made it easy to hear, easy to remember. These stories often carried a twist or a surprise ending. The Good Samaritan is not supposed to be the hero of the story, friends, but Jesus made him the hero. Caught the attention attention of listeners and drew them into a new way 
of thinking. So I'm not here this morning to tell you a funny story, to tell you a good story, to tell you a story that you walk away and and, and wonder what the ending it is. No, I want this morning more than anything else to tell you the story of Jesus. Printed in your notes there this morning, we have a couple of lines from an old hymn. Tell me the story of Jesus. Write on my heart every word. Tell me the story most precious, the sweetest that ever was heard. Francis Jane Van Alstine, who's known as Fanny Crosby, was an American missionary. She was a worker, a poet, a lyricist, a composer. She's one of the most prolific hymnists of all time, writing 8,000 hymns, gospel songs, and over 100 million copies printed of her writing. And she was born, as many of you know, almost entirely legally blind. And within a few months, few years, she was entirely blind. And yet the impact that she had. The Apostle Paul, his story, he would have to be so thankful for the gift that he had been given this opportunity to write these letters to the churches. But as he gazed at the gospel of Jesus Christ, it came alive in his heart. He comes to the end of this greatest piece of of literature that he has. It's almost as if he has written 8,000 hymns, but this is his favorite one. This is the one that he really wants to put a lot of emphasis on. And he can't just finish the letter with, so see you later. It's not going to work that way. He'd worked on these loftiest themes. He'd put them in the most accessible language so that any believer, even 2,000 years later, we can grab a hold of it and find spiritual truth in there and find the good news of Jesus Christ. It's not that the book of Romans will tell us everything that we ever need to know about the gospel or God's purpose or his plan or the nature of humanity, but it does tell us more than we can fathom about this Jesus Christ. So in the end, the last two or three verses here, the Apostle Paul takes the the pen from his scribe and he says, I want to write these last few words myself. And here's what he has given to us to resonate in our ears as we close this book and it echoes forward. Romans 16, 27, here's the fill-in for you. God strengthens you to his glory. Verse 27, he finishes, is the last thing he's going to say, to the only wise God be the glory forever through Jesus Christ. So if you've missed everything I've had to say, I'm going to open the book with it, I'm going to talk about it throughout, I'm going to write as often as I can, but the final word, the last thing you want me to, to ever say to you, the last note on this letter, there's no P.S., it's all about this doxology, and, and the central key person is Jesus Christ. And he gets the glory for whatever comes of this letter that he was going to be sending to Rome. To the only wise God be the glory forever through Jesus Christ. Friends, at the end of the day, we can do a lot of programs. We can do a lot of work. We can do a a, a number of things. We come to work here each day and we work hard. We do as much as we can, just like the Apostle Paul came to work every day and he did his job. But at the end of the day, the, the, the bottom line has to be Jesus Christ above all else. The final word, the final statement that God strengthens you and he will get the glory through his son, Jesus Christ. Here's your next villain. God strengthens you through the gospel. 
The message that I proclaim to you about Jesus Christ in keeping with the revelation of this mystery that was hidden for long ages past, the mystery of the Messiah, has now been revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God so that all Gentiles, friends, that is you, that is me, that is every person who's ever walked on this planet, they have accessible now to the mystery and the beauty of the gospel that comes through what? Through obedience in faith. The gift has been handed to you. All you have to do is reach out and take it in obedience. Take steps forward in faith. And the gospel comes alive. God will strengthen you through the gospel. God strengthens you to live your story. If we're going to say we value sharing stories, it, it is very important for us to remember that we are to live our own stories. Verse 25, now him who's able to establish you in accordance with the gospel. And specifically here, the apostle Paul says, with my gospel. He says, God has given this to me, and I'm going to tell you what he has done in my life. This is my gospel. This is the message that I carry to you. Now to him who is able to establish, or some of your translations were, strengthen you. At the beginning of the book when the Apostle Paul said, here's my thesis. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of God. It is, it is the power that I'm able to speak by here today. And he gets to the end of the book and he says, now it's your turn. Go and speak. Some of us look at that and we say, no, 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 you keep speaking, Paul. You've got a lot to say. I want to hear everything that you have to say. Paul, you keep speaking. The Apostle Paul says, no, no, no. God will strengthen you to live your story so that you carry your message of the gospel, the good news of what God has done in your life. See, this is consistent with Jesus' teaching as well. Remember Matthew chapter 5 when Jesus heals the man that we call legion because he had a legion of demon possesses on his life and on his body. He is, he is chained up in caves because he is hurting himself and hurting others. And Jesus walks in and he heals him. And suddenly the man who could not speak in complete sentences is now sitting there with Jesus and his disciples communicating and talking about what, guess what, the greatness and the glory of God. And Jesus goes to leave and he says, let me come with you. I will be one of your disciples. I can be your key story, your headline story. Let me tell everyone what has happened. And what does Jesus say? Matthew 5, 18, he says, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. But Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you. Tell them how much he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. The Apostle Paul says, now it's time for you to live your story. Jesus tells the man who'd been demon-possessed, but now was free. He said, I need you to go and tell your story to your friends, to your family. And guess what? They will be amazed. We share, we share stories here. 
We share stories of baptism. That's why every time there's a baptism, we try to get a video. We want to be able to tell the story behind the baptism. That's why anytime that we send people on a mission trip, we try to get a video of those who are going on the mission trip and those who are excited about going and then tell their story when they return. Why? Because we share stories because short stories are about changed lives. We share stories of fall festivals because it's important for us to remember to be able to, to read behind the lines of, of really what was it that we did that for? Why? So we share stories. This morning the challenge is for you to live your story. Now if you've been here for any amount of time, you know that I share a lot of personal stories. And that's a choice. That's a choice to do that. And one of the personal stories that I share often is the fact that I grew up on a small dairy farm here 60 miles south of Buffalo. This is a toy tractor that I had as a kid, and I bring it out to you this morning because this toy tractor, although you probably can't see it from there, is well-worn. It's got a lot of miles on it, probably literally a lot of miles on the wheels of this tractor. It squeaks when it moves. It's banged up. It's got some scars. It's got some stories of its own that it could tell here this morning. But I bring it out to you because the reality is I don't share stories from the pulpit that are about my life or about my, my childhood because I'm obsessed with myself, but it's because really at the end of the day, I believe that you need to be telling stories about yourself, that we as a church need to be telling stories about how God has moved and interacted with us. And this is part of my story. And the reality is, is although you've heard me talk about it often, that this is in my life a fairly recent adjustment. Because for much of my life, I did not talk about the fact that I grew up on a farm. For much of my life, I've been very embarrassed of that fact. For much of my life, particularly when I was younger, I made absolutely certain that nobody knew where I was from or what my address might be or where they could find me after school. Because I was embarrassed, embarrassed by it. But somewhere around 2010, 2011, I was involved in a ministry called Celebrate Recovery. We worked with a number of people uh, going through very difficult things, and I learned the power of what it, it really is to tell your story. You've heard me share our story about losing a child in 2009 in a hospital in Charleston, South Carolina. That's my story. And if you've heard it before, you're going to hear it again. Why? Because I believe that lives are changed when you share your own story. And so the reason why I didn't talk about the farm very much is the farm is not always a happy and clean and wonderful place. I remember my dad, he was, we had the family farm, but he was getting to an age where he was wondering whether he wanted to go and purchase a farm for our family rather than the extended family. And we went and visited this farm in a place called East Arcade, New York. I remember it because every time I drive by it, I see that farm and recognize that farm. I know that, that was one that dad was really interested in purchasing. It was for sale from a, a family friend, a farmer who was selling it. We went in, we looked at the farm, and I, as a little kid, was walking near, near something, and I stepped and I tripped, and I fell headlong into the mess that is at the farm waist deep, cover my body, 
And my dad's solution, and it was fine, I would probably do the same thing, was to strip me down to my underwear, hose off all of my clothes, and then when we drove back through town, have all of my clothes and my shoes and my socks hanging out the window to try to dry us off before we got home. It's embarrassing. I go by my middle name, which is Milo, but in grade school, I made absolutely certain people didn't know my middle name because in third grade, someone picked that up and I had the nickname for a year or two of Milo Silo. It's awful. For a kid who doesn't want to be known as the farmer, your name is now Milo Silo. And there's a certain level of embarrassment has come with just growing up in the woods, growing up on the farm, growing up around animals and not really around people. All of that, there's just an embarrassment that has gone with that. But somewhere along the way, I became convicted, and I hope that you are this morning as well, that this is my story. And what if the shepherds, what if the shepherds who were out in the fields and saw the angels and the glory of God and they had the opportunity to run back to the city and tell all about the greatness of what God had done, but first they had to stop and make sure they had cleansed themselves and, and made sure that they didn't look like shepherds when they came into town. It would have taken something away from that moment. And your story, every time that you remove something from your story, you're taking something away from what God is able to do in your life and through your story. When the Apostle Peter tells his story, and he has to include the fact that he lost faith in Jesus Christ, turned his back on Jesus at that darkest hour, he turned his back and denied Christ three times and looked him in the eyeballs and said, I do not know that man. If he had pulled that out of the story, we are missing something about the Apostle Peter. If the Apostle Paul, whose, whose book we just finished, pulled out of his story that the beginning of his life, he was Saul, the Christian crucifier, murderer, the one who made sure that Christians did not expand their faith. That's who Paul is. And at the end of this book, he is reminding us again, share your story. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray, Lord, that it would hit this morning. Lord, as the Apostle Paul closes this letter, when we read through the book of Acts of how his story plays out and what he has to say, Lord, you've done that in a way that makes it come alive and makes it come real to us. But it's not about us, Lord. It's about you. In your Son, Jesus Christ. The final word of this book is Jesus Christ. Amen. That's all that needs to be said. That's all that we need to know. As our ushers come forward this morning, Lord, this is a time for us to respond. Lord, if there are some here that need to respond by writing their name on a connection card and saying, I'm going to begin telling my story. Maybe here's a snippet of it for you to read this morning. Lord, I would love that opportunity be able to start a dialogue, have a conversation. Lord, if there's someone who needs to respond in a different way with giving of their tithes and offerings because their story has said up to this point, oh, I can't do that. 
I can't be involved in that way. I can't, I won't give in that way because we don't have enough or because I've got other priorities in my life. At the end of the day, Lord, you want to transform stories. So we pray that people will be able to respond in that. Lord, I pray that we as a church will continue to tell our story, the story of how you moved in Western New York, the story of how you brought missionaries here to Western New York to reach those who were lost. And over the years, a church grew and had impact, and lives were changed, and story after story after story could be told of how the gospel rippled out from this church. Lord, we do not believe that the story is finished here yet. Lord, we believe that you have something very specific for us. And so we step forward in that. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for writing our story. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.